The Old Testament reading is Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And in this passage, we learn that Abraham, actually his name was still Abram at the time, but Abraham, he was made right with God, not because he was circumcised, not because he was obedient, not because he did good works or was a good person, but he was made right with God because he believed. He was a man of faith. He trusted in the Lord and believed his promises. And this is the way of salvation for us as well. This has always been the way of salvation. So Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. And this is the infallible, the inerrant word of God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. (coughs) Excuse me. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And now let's turn to Romans chapter 4. This is the passage that we will uh, consider this morning. And uh, in this passage, the Apostle Paul expounds on this Genesis passage that we just heard. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Romans 4, 1 through 8. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who, (coughs) excuse me, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In this life, in this fallen world that we inhabit, we all struggle with various kinds of problems. And uh, some of our problems are relatively minor. Uh, Sometimes we call these first world problems. You know, my internet went out last night and I couldn't watch the movie I was streaming. It was terrible. But some of our problems and the ones that we really consider problems are those that are much more serious. Uh, They grieve us. Uh, They weigh heavily on our hearts. And these kinds of problems can come in all kinds of forms. Uh, Health concerns, financial trouble. Uh, strained or broken relationships, and so on. And so throughout this life, we deal with all kinds of difficult, perplexing um, problems. But there is one massive problem. There is one uh, 
problem that dwarfs every other problem that we could conceivably face in this life. And this problem is, that, is, is this, that we are sinful human beings. We are sinners. And one day we must be judged by a God who is perfect in righteousness. That is our greatest problem. And because this is our number one problem, the most important, the most urgent, the most pressing question that you and I can ask in this world is this. It's not how can I be happy? It's not how can I live a life that is fulfilling and satisfying? But the most pressing question is this. How can I be made right before God? How can I, a sinner who is guilty of breaking God's law, how can I, who deserve nothing but condemnation from God, how can I be made right with him? How can I stand before him without being condemned? How can I be right in the judgment of a God who has revealed himself in his word, who speaks to us through our conscience, that he is a God who is righteous, holy. He has a pure eyes than to behold evil. He does not compromise in his righteousness or his law. His justice is true. How can I be right with him? That is the most important question that any one of us can ask. And the answer to that question, of course, is the gospel. That is the message of the gospel, that there is an answer to this question. It is the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for our salvation. And when we read that he gave his only son, part of what that means is he gave up his only son to be Condemned, He gave him up to suffer, to endure that judgment, that condemnation that you and I deserved. So that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the gospel is the wonderful news, the glorious news that our deepest problem, our deepest need has been met by God in the gift of his son, Jesus. And at the very heart of this gospel, the very core of this gospel Something that cannot be taken away from the gospel is this truth of justification. Justification. Justification is that act by which God forgives our sins and he accepts us as righteous in his sight. And justification is what we'll consider today as we continue our study of what we uh, of what is called the order of salvation. And just as a reminder uh, the order of salvation, or the ordo salutis in Latin, uh, this is uh, those uh, works or acts of God's grace by which, by the Spirit, he applies to us uh, the salvation, the redemption that Christ accomplished for us uh, by his death and resurrection. At first, we looked at uh, calling. Uh, then we looked at regeneration. And then a few weeks ago, we considered faith and repentance. And today we'll consider justification. That is our being made right with God. And there are two fundamental truths about justification that I want to consider with you this morning. First of all, God justifies sinners such as you and me. He justifies sinners such as we are by declaring us to be righteous. And the word to underline in that sentence is that God declares us to be righteous. He pronounces us to be righteous. So that's the first truth. The second truth is this, 
that God justifies sinners by means of faith in Jesus Christ. And the key word there is faith. It is by faith we are justified. So first, the first truth, God justifies sinners by declaring us to be righteous. So to understand justification, we need to understand that this concept, this concept is one that is legal or forensic. Now, what does that mean? It means that in justification, God acts as my judge and he declares me to be just according to his law. And so justification is a legal truth. Uh, To use a human example, let's say you are arrested for a crime and you are put on trial for a jury. And I hope that this will be only a hypothetical example for all of us. But let's say that you're arrested for a crime, you're put on trial, and the jury, after they weigh the evidence that has been presented in the trial, uh, they come back after their deliberation and they decide that you are not guilty of committing the crime. Uh, Perhaps you truly are not guilty. Maybe it was a wrongful arrest. Or perhaps they simply did not find the evidence compelling or beyond a reasonable doubt in order to convict you of the crime. But in either case, on the basis of that finding, the judge then, representing the law of the state, representing the authority of the state, the judge then pronounces, he declares the, the, the verdict, and that is that you are not guilty. He declares that you are innocent. You are not guilty. You have been acquitted. And in doing that, the judge has justified you. He has justified you. He has declared that your standing before the law is one of not guilty. You are innocent of breaking this law. And so you are set free. Now, when you think about it, that sentence of not guilty that the judge declares on the basis of the jury's findings, that doesn't necessarily mean that you didn't actually commit the crime. It could be that you did commit the crime, but you were clever enough to uh, cover up the, the evidence. And so there was not enough to bring a conviction against you. Or maybe you did not commit the crime. Perhaps you really were innocent of that charge. But in either case, whether or not you are actually guilty of the crime, you are justified, nevertheless, by the judge when he declares you, when he pronounces that you are not guilty. And that is what is meant by saying that justification is a legal or forensic concept. It has to do with your status in relation to the law of God. God declares that you are just or right in his sight in relation to his commandments, to his law. And so one thing that this means is justification is not a matter of God's making a person righteous. Justification is not God's working in us to change us, to transform us, so that we begin to resemble more and more Jesus and his righteousness, so that we begin to obey the commandments of God, so that we begin in ourselves to be more righteous. That is not justification. That is a gracious work that God does in his people. He does that work, but that work is sanctification, making us more holy. That's what we'll consider that later. But justification is not that. Justification is God's declaring you, declaring you to be just, to be righteous in his sight 
in relation to his law. Now, you may be thinking at this point, well, that all sounds very great, but is this really the Bible's understanding of justification? Is this something that theologians have just come up with, or is this founded in the Word of God? Is this what God says to us in the Scriptures? And the answer is yes, this is what the Scriptures teach us. And there are several passages in the Scriptures that we could go to, but just to begin, let's look at one verse from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 15. Proverbs 17, 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now here the verse is talking about human judges. It is an abomination for a judge to declare not guilty the one who is guilty. And it is an abomination for that judge to declare guilty the one who is innocent. Now, if justify meant to make someone righteous, if justify meant, if, if to justify meant that God, uh, or that a person becomes righteous, then what this judge does in Proverbs seventeen fifteen would not be an abomination at all. He would be doing a praiseworthy thing. He would be making someone who is unrighteous, righteous. That would not be an abomination. That would be a great thing. But that's not the job of the judge. The job of a judge is to declare or pronounce a verdict of guilt or not guilt according to the truth of the matter as he sees it. And so here, justify in Proverbs 17, 15, this means to declare righteous. A good judge declares the one who is righteous, righteous, and he condemns the one who is guilty. That's what a judge is supposed to do. But that leads to the question. If that is what it means to justify then how in the world can God justify anybody? How can God declare any sinner just? Because we are all sinners, every single one of us, every single human being is equally sinful in God's sight, and therefore, how can God declare a sinner to be just? How can he acquit a person or declare not guilty someone who has broken his commandments, who is truly guilty before him? It's remarkable when you read uh, the passage or one of the verses that we read from Romans chapter 4, when you read it in the light of the Proverbs verse that I just read to you. Again, Proverbs 17, 15 says, He who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But then Romans 4, 5 says that God justifies the ungodly. So here God is doing the very thing that God says is an abomination. Here, God justifies the one who is unrighteous, who is ungodly, who is guilty. And yet, in Proverbs 17, 15, we read that that is wrong. That is an abomination. So how can that be? How can God justify us? Well, it's certainly not because he sees something in us, something perhaps small or faint that is righteous or good or worthy of being Uh, declared righteous. The scriptures are clear that our sin has not just compromised what is otherwise our essentially or fundamentally good nature. The scriptures do not tell us that sin is just a a mark upon our uh, basically good constitution, moral uh, being. Rather, sin has so pervaded and corrupted our nature that there is nothing in us 
that is good or praiseworthy or righteous in the sight of a holy God. There is nothing in us by nature that God sees and he says, that is good, that is right, that is righteous. Before chapter 4, the Apostle Paul in chapter 3, he quotes from uh, the Psalms in verse 10. In verse 11, he says this, uh, Romans 3, 10 and 11, he says, None is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. That is a comprehensive assessment uh, of the human race and the human condition. Not only is every single human being unrighteous in the sight of God, no one seeks for God, but every part of our constitution, every part of our being is corrupted and is tainted with sin. And so no matter how good or moral you and I may be relative to other people, no matter how good we may be according to some man-made standard of goodness or righteousness, as far as the righteousness of God is concerned, as far as God's own standard is concerned, you and I fall short. And apart from the grace of God, we will always fall short because there is nothing in us that is truly righteous in the sight of an infinitely holy God. And so God cannot justify us on the basis of anything in us that is righteous. But, and this is the gospel, this is the good news. God can justify us. He can justify sinners such as us on the basis of a righteousness that is not ours, but a righteousness that belongs to his son, Jesus Christ. As the incarnate son of God, as the one who was from all eternity, the, the God himself, the, God the son, who shared with the father, who was equal with the father in glory and power, who shared in his father's holiness and righteousness, this son of God, he became man. He was conceived by the Spirit in the womb of Mary, the Virgin. He was free from sin. He continued his whole life living in this sin-cursed world, never giving in to temptation, always free from sin. He was perfectly righteous. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the will of his Father. And at the cross, he endured the curse of God, the condemnation of God that was due to us as sinners. And in justifying us, God takes this righteousness of Christ, this perfect righteousness of his son. He takes this, both the righteousness of Christ and that he kept the law of God perfectly, but also that righteousness of Christ in which he endured the penalty of the law that we deserved. God takes that righteousness of Christ and he counts it as our very own. He reckons it to our accounts as though you and I have lived the life that Jesus lived, as though you and I died the death, the cursed death of the cross that Jesus died. He takes that righteousness and he counts it as our very own. And this is what theologians call imputation. God imputes, that is, he counts, he reckons to us the righteousness of Christ and he imputes our sin, our guilt, onto his son, Jesus. This is sometimes called the great exchange. He takes what is Christ's, he gives it to us. He takes what is ours, and he gives it to Christ's. 
2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And because of this divine reckoning, though there is nothing but sin in me apart from grace, that righteousness of Christ is counted as my very own. And so it's on this basis then that God declares you and me just. He declares us righteous. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, as one who belongs to Christ by faith, because God has imputed your sin and guilt to Jesus, all your sins, all your sins, both those you have committed, past, present, and future, they are all forgiven. And because God imputes the righteousness of Jesus to you, he, he sees you as though you yourself had lived that perfect life of obedience that Jesus lived in conformity to the will of his Father. So you are clothed with that perfect righteousness of Christ. And this is part of the, the glory, the wonder of this grace of justification is that although you and yourself and, and me and myself, although we are still sinful, we are still sinners, nevertheless, God does not see you in your sin, but he sees you as who you are in Christ. That's how God sees you. And so you are both in yourself sinful, and yet in Christ you are righteous. Both things are true about you. And when God sees you, he sees you as you are in Jesus. Uh, to use another human example, uh, consider a child who uh, grew up in poverty. He had nothing. And at some point in this child's life, he's adopted by a father who is an extremely wealthy man. Well, at the very time of that child's adoption, in himself, he is still poor. He has nothing to his name. He is impoverished. He has no wealth. But at the same time, because he's adopted by his father, he is incredibly wealthy. Because all that belongs to the father really belongs to him, too. And so in the same way, just as his child is both poor and rich at the same time, in the same way as those who have been justified by the grace of God, we are sin sinners, but we are also just at the very same time. Now, one day, every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. I think this is a reality that we don't often allow to influence our thoughts, but this is a reality. We can be more sure of this than of anything else in this life, that one day we must die, and every single one of us will stand before God, before Christ, and be judged by him. And he will judge our thoughts, our words, our actions. And the standard of his judgment will be nothing less than his own perfect holiness and righteousness. Now, that would be a terrifying thing if it were not for the grace of God. That would be an absolutely dreadful and terrifying prospect to be judged by a holy God. But the good news is this, that by faith in Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear on that day of judgment. Why? Because the verdict has already been declared. The judgment has already been rendered. And that verdict that God has already pronounced is this, not guilty, innocent, righteous, forgiven, worthy of the glories of heaven forever.
And so God's justification is his declaration that in Jesus Christ, you are righteous for his sake. So that is the first truth about justification, that God declares us righteous. The second truth is this, is that God justifies sinners through the means of faith in Jesus Christ. So the New, pa- the New Testament passage that we heard this morning from Romans chapter 4, uh, this passage comes in the context in Romans in which Paul is uh, explaining to uh, the Romans uh, this wonderful truth of justification. And in chapter 3, he explains that it is impossible for us as sinners to be justified by anything that we do. We cannot be justified by our good works, by keeping the law of God. Uh, he says in chapter 3, verse 20, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so as a sinner, there is nothing that you can do in order to establish a righteousness That will be the basis upon which God will say, you are righteous, you are just. We cannot do that. But praise God, he has provided provided us a way to be justified apart from keeping his law or doing good works. And that is by faith in Christ. So if you look at chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so the righteousness which, uh, by which you are justified is the righteousness of Christ. And that righteousness is yours by faith. And it is yours by faith alone. By faith alone. Now, the Apostle Paul doesn't use that exact phrase, by faith alone. But what he does say amounts to the very same thing. He says in verse 28, chapter 3, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That is to say, by faith alone. So you are justified by God. You are counted righteous, not by what you do, not even partially by what you do, but solely by faith, by trusting in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to say, or to show, and this is our passage this morning, verses 1 through 8 in chapter 4, He goes on to show that this has always been the case. This has always been the way that God has saved his people. It is by faith in him, in becoming Christ and the promises of God. And Paul proves that point by holding up as an example the patriarch Abraham. And so Paul says in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so Abraham, the the forefather of the Israelites, he was justified. Not because he was circumcised, not because he obeyed God, not because he did good works, but because he believed. He believed. He trusted in the promises of God. Ultimately, he trusted in the coming Messiah, and he was justified. Paul goes on to show that this truth, that we are justified by faith apart from works, that is by faith alone, that this was also believed and taught by David. He quotes from Psalm 32 in verses 6 through 8. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And so just like Abraham, 
just like David, just like every other person who has ever been saved by the grace of God, you also are saved in this way by faith and by faith alone, faith in Christ. And even this faith is not somehow a good work that God counts uh, as righteousness for you. But faith, faith in Christ is the instrument by which God counts as righteous for the sake of the righteousness of Christ. Because faith in Christ is the opposite of a work. Faith in Christ is recognizing that you have nothing to bring to God. Faith in Jesus is a, a confession, an acknowledgement that in you there is nothing but spiritual poverty. There is nothing but corruption. There is nothing but unrighteousness. That you are unable to come to God to please him. And so faith in Christ is not a work, but it is trusting. It is resting. It is leaning entirely upon the person of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you are in any way, even if you are in a small, tiny way, if you are looking in some part to your goodness, your works, your obedience, your piety, your morality, and you're saying, here is something that is good in me, surely God will count this uh, for my righteousness. He will justify me because of this. Even if, they, even if you're thinking that way in a small way, you're not trusting wholly in Christ, and only a wholehearted trust in Christ can save you. Even if you are to say, uh, the good works that I do are a result of God's grace in me, and therefore, because they are God's works of grace that he, that he works in me, therefore they are part of my being right with God, even then you are still relying on your works and not on Christ. And so there is nothing whatsoever you can bring to God as the basis of your righteousness before him. All you can bring is your sin and your need. All you can do is cry out for forgiveness and mercy for the sake of Christ. And praise God, that is a prayer that he always answers. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the second truth is that God justifies sinners through the means of faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now, just one point of application this morning as we consider this wonderful truth, and that is this. This is the application. Believe it. Believe it. Believe that as a Christian, as one who belongs to Christ, that your sins are truly, really, truly forgiven, that they really are not counted against you. Because we are all sinners, we all carry the guilt of sin with us. And apart from Christ, of course, we, that guilt is real. We are truly guilty before God, but even as Christians, we tend to carry the guilt of our sin with us wherever we go. I remember, I remember a, a movie I saw many years ago. It was a, a, a mafia movie, and uh, the protagonist, or I don't know if he was really a hero or not, but the main character, uh, he was in the mafia, and he was, uh, the government was closing in on him, and he was constantly uh, worried that he was about to be caught. And so he was always looking over his shoulder, always wondering if that car behind him was uh, the FBI. Uh, looking up in the sky, he saw a helicopter. He wondered if that was police surveillance. Everywhere he went, he lived in constant fear of being caught and uh, 
and punished by the law. And you could say that was essentially the same experience that Martin Luther had. Not that Martin Luther was in the mafia, quite the opposite, he was a monk. But, and as a monk, he lived a very pious and upright life. Nevertheless, he knew his heart. He knew the holiness of God. He knew the righteousness of his creator and his judge, and he knew that he was guilty. And so Martin Luther, in the same way, he was always looking over his shoulder. He was always wondering, is today the day that God will destroy me? Will I be condemned by God because of my sin, my guilt? Have I been good enough? Have I done enough to please God, to be right with him, to be forgiven? And to one degree or another, this is the experience of every person, especially those who are apart from Christ. At some level, we know we are guilty. Every single human being has a consciousness of sin and guilt. And we are haunted by the prospect. We are haunted at the prospect of God finding us out. But the glory of the truth of justification is that God really, truly takes our guilt away forever. This is something that the scriptures tell us in so many different ways. I believe because God wants us to, to, to know this. We are so slow to believe it. But he wants us to understand that your sins are forgiven. They are truly taken away from you. Just listen to some scriptures. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, an infinite distance. Micah 7, 19. He will, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. We were talking about this on Wednesday night at the prayer meeting. What if you were on an ocean liner in the middle of the ocean and you're, you accidentally dropped your phone? Uh, you know, would you have any hope of ever recovering that again? It would be lying on the ocean floor, you know, five miles beneath the, beneath the surface. It would be gone forever. Well, that is what God has done for our sins. He has cast them into the depths of the sea. Colossians 2.14 By canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 8.12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Now these verses declare to us plainly and clearly that your sins are forgiven. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. There is no fine print to these Verses, they mean what they say, that God has removed our guilt from us. It is gone forever. And so no matter what you have done, you can have a clear conscience. You can rest your head on your pillow at night without the weight of guilt bearing you down. You can know that there is no charge that anyone can bring against you of guilt. Not even Satan himself can accuse you before God with a charge that, you, that will, will stick to you the charge of guilt. Because of Christ, you are acquitted. You are justified. You are innocent and righteous in the sight of God. And yet, and yet, even as Christians, we struggle to believe this, don't we? We struggle to believe this. I know my sins are forgiven, and yet I still have things that come into mind into my mind, things that I said or did maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and I feel the guilt of those sins. 
I know that I'm forgiven, and yet I still feel the guilt of that sin. And when I do this in this way, I remember the very sins that God says he remembers no more. But this gift, this is why this gift of justification, this, it is almost something too good to be true. It is something that is so wonderful that it seems to us literally incredible, unbelievable. How can this be that my guilt is taken away, that my sins are forgiven forever? And yet this is exactly what God tells us in his word, that we are forgiven. And so we need to hear this truth again and again and again, that in Jesus Christ, we are righteous. We are not guilty. We are right with him. We are his children. He has loved us. He loves us in Christ. And he sees us as we are in Christ. Innocent, pure, unstained, clean, and forgiven. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, we have not only this reminder from the scriptures of this truth, of the forgiveness of God, of the righteousness that he has given us, but we also have in this sacrament, the supper of our Lord Jesus, in visible form, an expression or a declaration of just how precious and dear this truth of justification is because it costs nothing less than the death of Jesus. We are forgiven because Jesus died for you and for me. But as we take part in this sacrament, I want you to, I want you to, to remember this, to think this, that just as, true, just as surely, just as truly as Jesus died on the cross, so truly are your sins forgiven. Just as truly as Jesus came into this world and lived a life of perfect obedience, so truly God looks upon you and sees you as you are in Christ, perfectly righteous. Let's pray.